Go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 2. We're going to be in Acts 2 again this morning. I want to encourage you to get signed up for a small group. And uh, men, if you haven't signed up for one Tuesday, uh, there is a great small group that's going to be here. And uh, a fantastic class. So uh, look at that. But there's many other great classes going on throughout the week. Uh, as well, and several on uh, Wednesday. So I hope you'll join us for that. And uh, also, uh, the next two weeks we have baptism services. So if you have an interest in following the Lord in baptism, please let us know. We've been meeting with several people that are getting baptized. Next week in our 9 o'clock service, we have some of our community leaders that are going to be here, and we're going to be praying for them. And then our 1030 service, we're going to be praying uh, we're going to be doing our baptism in uh, that service, so uh, uh, great. And uh, also, uh, June is planned to change the mask, uh, but our governor did make some statements this past week, and so we are going to move next week to a mass section, and uh, so uh, we will we'll have this section over here as a mass section, and then we won't have uh, the whole 9 o'clock service mass. So we're going to be making that change as well. But go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 2. And uh, this is something I tell people when they visit a church. They have a church background, and they come to a new church, and, uh, and here's what I tend to say. If you have had a bad experience... You've got to forget about that. You've got to put that behind you. If you had a bad experience in church, you come to church and you put walls up, say, man, I'm not going to get close to anybody. I'm not going to get involved. I'm not going to pour in. You know, you've got to put that behind you. Don't let those walls come up in your life. And if your past church experience is really good, you had a great church experience, you come and then you compare and you're like, well, they're not doing it the way my church used to do it, and, and uh, that's true. We're not that church, right? And probably if you were to go back to that church, we have all these great memories of the church that we grew up in or we got saved in, and, and if you went back there, it probably wouldn't be the same either because uh, life moves on. Things change, right? We've got to put the past behind us and move ahead. Uh, the church, when you became a believer, has great um, memories for you, and uh, maybe I think of Napoleon Dynamite and Uncle Rico. Remember, he, he enjoyed the glory days of his high school. Maybe you look back at high school, man, I remember how it was at that point. I remember how it was when I was single or early marriage or when the kids were young or whatever. But you know, we live in the present, don't we? Maybe you think, man, I wish the politics were the way it was during Reagan or if you're on the other side of the aisle, the way it was during the Clinton administration or whatever. Or uh, I wish uh, we could just get back to normal. You know, I remember what the church was like before the pandemic. But guess what? Though we appreciate our heritage, we enjoy the experiences of life, we look back and we have that incredible foundation. Last week we talked about heritage and moving into legacy. Uh, we enjoy that heritage, but we live in the present. We've got to look ahead. And there's one thing about the Bible that's very beautiful. It is a forward-thinking book. It isn't just a book written to the past. It's not just something written for Jews in the past or early believers. It is written for us today and for every generation that will follow. The Bible is our guide. And we're looking at the book of Acts, and the book of Acts is the history of the church. The founding of the church was with Jesus, and he's adding to the church throughout the book of Acts. And we see what ministry was like after the ascension of Jesus and how the apostles and the early disciples responded. 
I, I told you that 29 years ago, Paul and I, when we came to start Choice, I was reading through the book of Acts, and I came to this passage that we're going to look at again. And uh, so I want to pick up in verse 41, and, and it just solidifies some foundational things for us to look at. And in verse 41, it says, Then those who gladly received his word, Peter was preaching. He was preaching about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Read through that passage. He goes back into some Old Testament passages, and he just talks about the death of Jesus, but Jesus didn't stay dead. Not only did he die to forgive our sins, he resurrected to give us eternal life and to give us the justification, the forgiveness, the newness of life that we can all live and celebrate. And so Peter's preaching that message, and all these Jews that came to the Feast of Pentecost Hear Peter preaching, and they believe in Jesus Christ. They believe in the death, burial, and resurrection. And so they receive his word. And the next thing they do, they follow in baptism. Uh, we believe that baptism is not something that happens to a child or an infant before they become a believer, but it's something that we personally do after we have trusted Jesus as their Savior. Those that received his word were baptized, that first step of obedience, and then notice, and they were added unto them. 3,000 people were added to the church. They joined the church. They became members of this church. And then verse 42, and they continued steadfastly. They were united. They were faithful in this. One, the apostles' doctrine. Remember, the truth sets us free. That's what sets us free. We've got to know what the word of God says. Jesus is truth. His word is truth. This is our guide for life. The apostles' doctrine. Second, fellowship. The word is koinonia. The idea of fellowship is community, oneness, sharing together. They not only had the right beliefs, they had the right behavior, the way they related to each other, this koinonia. They had fellowship together. They were breaking bread. They were gathering in homes, not only in the large assembly where they were hearing the sermons preached and they had a time of worship, but they gathered for Bible study in small groups, mostly in homes. And uh, whether they were eating a meal or whether this was communion, not positive, but they were breaking the bread. And then last, they were praying together. They were a praying church. Uh, I told you that we're do, having some coaching done uh, in our church and uh, uh, for, the, for the leaders, and there was a church survey, and, and uh, uh, our coach said, one of the things we can improve on is being a more praying church. And so that's something we're going to preach about next week. We're going to talk about the importance of prayer in our life. And these four things were vital in the church. And then the next verse, then fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. The apostles had this special gifting. Jesus had miracles. The early apostles had miracles. I do believe that ceased and is no longer a part of Christianity today. These apostles had these special giftings where they healed people. And then notice verse 44. This is where I kind of want us to key in on today. Now, all those who believed were together so again, they were united, they worked together. They weren't living in isolation. They weren't living in independence. They were together and had all things in common. The idea of all things in common goes back to this same word fellowship or koinonia. They were united in fellowship. They held all things in common. Notice what they did in the next verse. They sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. 
Here's a simple word I hope you are left with today, generosity. These people were together. They held all things in common and they demonstrated generosity. This was Christian community. Sometimes people see that term, all things in common, and they say, oh, that's Christian communism, or that's Marxism, or that's socialism. Certainly, that's not the case, or that's even communal living where everybody just puts everything together. I think we can easily prove that that isn't what happened uh, throughout uh, the church age uh, here. Margaret Thatcher said, socialism works great until you run out of other people's money. Maybe you've heard that uh, idea before. Certainly, uh, this has always failed whenever it's been tried, and it's certainly not God's plan for us today. Uh, but we do believe in community, not communism, socialism, Marxism, or communal living, but there is a sense of community, this idea of generosity. Paul said it this way, uh, really in defense of, uh, of people caring for themselves in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, for even when we were with you, we commanded you this, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. I mean, that's a principle of life, isn't it? As conservatives, uh, most of us here, we understand that principle. It is your responsibility, you and your family, to care for yourself. If you don't care for your family, God says you're worse than an unbeliever. That's not what God wants us to do. In Ephesians 4, Paul says it this way. Let him that stole steal no more. So he's saying, don't be selfish in your life. I want you to put off this idea of you trying to take from other people, that you're getting what you think you deserve, getting something, you know, as Robin Hood, taking from the rich and giving to the poor, and it's normally me that is, considers myself poor. You know, none of us uh, normally consider ourselves rich. So he says, uh, don't steal any longer, but rather, here's God's plan for us. Let him labor, working with his hands, and he says something about hard work. He said, that's good. I want you to work. God's plan is to work. God worked from the beginning. Remember, he worked six days and rested the seventh. God is for us working hard. But notice why we're to work. We think we're to work so we can you know, have prosperity, so we can do well, or maybe even just to care for ourselves. But he goes beyond this and he says, no, I want you to understand generosity here. I want you to labor working with your hand. That's a good thing. What is good, here's why, that he may have something to give him who has need. Do you know one of the key reasons God wants us to work? He says, I don't want you to steal. I don't want you to be a taker in life, but I want you to work so you have abundance so you can be a giver. It's not just having this nest egg in the savings account so when I retire, when I have a special need, and all those things are important, God talks about savings, but he says here, I want you to have so you can be generous, so you can give to others. Jesus said it this way in Acts chapter 20. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you may support the weak, those that can't work. And remember the words of our Lord Jesus that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. God says there's greater blessings in giving than receiving. 
I don't know uh, if you got a check from the government a couple months ago or, you know, they made a deposit like, hey, man, look at that. This extra money came in here. It's nice to have something. Or you get a Christmas card or uh, a birthday uh, card and you open it up or kids graduate, they open it up and then, you know, there's a, a gift card or there's some cash in there. Man, that's a blessing, isn't it? But God said, no, you know, that, certainly it's a blessing to be able to receive, but he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Jesus is reminding us that generosity is vital. A rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, good master, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And he said, well, that's probably the wrong question that you can't do anything to inherit eternal life. But if you wanna try to earn your own way to heaven, he said, do this, just sell everything you have and give it to the poor. I want you to demonstrate total generosity. And he was like, "Ah, I'm not willing to do that. He was teaching that you can't work your way to heaven, but he, in a greater uh, principle, he was saying, I want you to show generosity. This was the example of the early church. Again, in verse 44, it says, now all those who believed were together and had all things in common. Now, all things in common, or as we saw in verse 42, this idea of fellowship, it comes from the word koinonia. And it's an interesting word. Normally we talk about fellowship and I don't know what you picture when we say the church, we need to fellowship as a church and we think about having a cup of coffee and a donut in the morning or sitting in a Bible study group and having some snacks and and talking and having somebody over to your house and say, man, that was just wonderful fellowship. But let me explain. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that general concept. But koinonia, this idea of fellowship or community really means mutual sharing, to partner together, to have things in common. Maybe you know that the Bible was written in the Greek language, but a certain idea was called Koine Greek, Koine, which comes from the same word koinonia. Koine Greek because it was the common language. It wasn't a high sophisticated language, it was the common language, it was the vulgar language of the people. It was just the way people talked. That's the way the Bible was written. And so when we see this term, they had all things in common. He's saying, and sometimes it's used in a negative, but here it's, it's used, and everybody just had things in general. People weren't holding on and saying, this belongs to me. The opposite of common is sacred or holy or separated. Uh, the people weren't holding on to it and saying, it's, it's mine. Nobody's gonna get anything from me. I've worked hard for this. This belongs to me. They weren't separating it or isolating it. They held all things in common. They had an open hand. They were generous. They demonstrated this aspect. All things in common means they were sharers. They weren't saying it was mine, but they demonstrated just like they, we further see in Acts chapter four. Look at verse 32. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Again, they were united. My number one prayer request uh, when I pray for the church after I've prayed for my family is unity in the church, one heart and one soul. How did they have this unity? How were these people able to be so united? Well, let's look at what it says. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own. Now, maybe we go to our house and we say, this is my house. 
or this is my car, or we go to our closet and say, this is my clothes. We can open up our bank account and we say, this is my bank account. This is my retirement fund. This belongs to me. But true stewardship says, you know what? Nothing belongs to me. These are just simply tools that God has given to me. Generosity starts with this idea. It says, nothing that I possess is my own, but they had all things in common. Again, not a communism. If you go to chapter five and even study a little deeper in chapter four, he says, these things belong to you. Certainly you have ownership. You know, without ownership, you couldn't fulfill the 10 commandments, thou shalt not steal. People have personal ownership, but instead of holding on to it so tightly, they live a generous, selfless life. Generosity is saying, who can I bless today? Generosity is walking in church and not saying, who's gonna shake my hand today, but going around saying, whose hand can I shake? It's not saying, who's gonna say hi to me today, but who can I say hi to? Who can I be a blessing to? Generosity is that giving spirit in our life. When koinonia, again, is to distribute, to share, to participate, to contribute, Someone said that fellowship is two fellows in a ship and they're rowing together, they have a destination and they're working as a team. They want to support each other. They want to be together. They want to work hard. So they give of their time. They give of their abilities. They give of their finances. If you have been keeping up with the church and some of the decisions a while back, uh, we decided with the, uh, some things going on in the economy that it would be a great time to sell uh, the house that we have that we've used as a parsonage. It came about from a guy in our church named Greg. Greg's a wonderful guy. Greg was for years the face of our church. Greg would, uh, come, and I, I'm going to... Try to put some material together just to kind of give you a background in the uh, coming weeks. But this is the kind of guy that Greg was. He came to me one day, had been in the church for years, and he said, "Hey, I've been thinking. My family. He did, he didn't have any uh, of his own biological kids, and he said my family is fine, and my family is really the choice family. And he said I'm thinking of changing my will." and giving all my possession to the church. I've never had anybody say that. I didn't know how to respond. I was very uncomfortable, and I was like, well, that's between you and God, and I just kind of left it. He told me, he said, well, I'm gonna go uh, talk to an attorney and get this paperwork done, and a couple months later, he threw it on my desk, and he said, here it is. I said, here's what? He said, here's my will. I'm giving everything to the church. And I was so uncomfortable, I was like, well, thanks, Greg, if, if that's what God's leading you to do. But I took that file, I never looked at it, and I filed it away in a uh, locked drawer uh, that we had. Well, not too long after that, really, had a freak accident, and Greg passed. And all of his possessions came to the church. Why? Because of his generosity. Now, let me just say this. Greg lived as he died a giver. When we would announce that we're getting ready to have teen camp, if anyone wanted to help with a teen, Greg was one of the first ones that say, I'll sponsor a teen or I'll sponsor two teens. 
When one of our teens would graduate, he would send them a card with a generous amount of money in it. When a missionary would come to our church, he would open up his wallet and give extra money and he gave generously to our mission fund. He helped a family that was in our church that was uh, trying to adopt and couldn't afford it and he paid thousands and thousands of dollars so they could adopt their child. On a daily basis, he would go and care for his dad. He would go to the gym, and then he would drop by the church, and he said, hey, is there anything I can do around here? He would take out the trash. He would do some uh, you know, menial tasks around here. He would uh, serve the church in any way that he could. And on Sunday morning, he would get here early and be the greeter. He literally was the face of the church. Him and Roger would stand out there and greeting everybody and just demonstrating this act of generosity. The buildings we have here, the opportunity to be able to listen to a sermon online is just simply because of generous people. I remember when we were building this building, a guy named Matt shared, he said, you know, I have a motorcycle and I don't need a motorcycle. I'm going to sell it and I am going to give those funds to be able to build the building that we're in today. Before we had any building space around here, Kathy and her family, sold a piece of property and gave tens of thousands of dollars to our church that we could purchase the eight acres, the first original eight acres on this property, just simply generosity. I think of how my family has demonstrated generosity. I think of how uh, one of the seniors in our church came during COVID and said, hey, I have some extra retirement funds that I wanna put into the missions account so we can support our missionaries. I think of a guy that came one day and we had a missionary and we couldn't take him on and he said, I will start giving extra just to be able to take on that missionary. Generosity. It reminds me of 2 Corinthians chapter eight. Now notice I'm gonna read five verses, so just join me in the reading of these verses here. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God, and that's really what it's about. If we're gonna have generosity, it comes from a spirit of grace. The grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. Now notice something about the churches, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. I mean, this, these individuals, this church at Corinth was not having a lot of extra fun. They were going through a very difficult time in their life, a lot of trials, financially even, but they gave richly, notice why, verse three, for I bear witness according to their ability and beyond their ability, they were freely willing. They didn't give because they had to, they gave because they wanted to, God's grace working in their life. Imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift, and here's that word again, and the fellowship, the koinonia of the ministering to the saints. They gave because they wanted to minister to others. And not only as we had hoped or expected, this isn't what Paul expected would happen, but notice how they gave so generously. They first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. Do you know why they were able to be generous? Just like we sang earlier, and Beth, thanks for that beautiful song, just a, an act of surrender. God, I belong to you. 
My thoughts belong to you. My habits belong to you. My speech belongs to you. My time belongs to you. My attitude belongs to you. And my finances belong to you. God, it's not mine. I'm not going to hold on to it. But I want to demonstrate generosity. Everything I have because of the grace of God working in my life, God wants me to be generous. Everything I have is his. I just simply want to be a manager of it. Years ago in the church that I grew up in, we were building a building. And it makes sense you would build a building, right? Because what else would you build, I guess? So you put those two words together. That's, uh, I don't know why English language does that, but we were in a construction project. And uh, uh, our church went through a really big struggle, and so people were just jumping in and really sacrificing a lot so we could finish this building project. I was still working for my dad. I was single. I had a lot of, of extra income, and I gave a very generous amount of income. I mean, we were trying to get this building done, and so every Saturday, guys were coming out. We were working hard trying to get into this building, and eventually the day came where people sacrificed their finances. They sacrificed their buildings, and we got in this building, and we had this uh, uh, prayer time to, as we were moving in, and I walked in this new auditorium that we had, and I just kind of got depressed. I was like, all this money, all this time, all this energy for just this building, it's sort of like a building like we're in, for this building? It's like, why did we do that? And I just felt like there was this, still small voice that spoke to my heart. And God said, it's not about this building, but it's about the lives that are gonna be changed. You see, that was 30 years ago. Hundreds of people come in that church on a weekly basis. Loads of people have gotten saved. Many different cultures hear the gospel. It's a very diverse church in Northern Virginia, reaching multitudes of people on a regular basis, helping lives to be changed, impacting lives, making disciples. And God spoke to my heart and said, it wasn't about that building. It's about changing lives. It's about making disciples. It's about transformation in our life. And the reason God wants us to be so generous is not to give to a building, not to give to a project, but we give to fulfill the Great Commission. This early church had all things in common. They didn't hold on to the possession, but they said, how can I willfully give? Who can I minister to? Who can I bless in my life? How can I demonstrate the grace of God? Jesus was a giver. He sacrificed. He gave his all. How can I demonstrate that in my own life as well? It's about changed lives, people being transformed. Our generosity, it's not about our retirement, it's not about our pleasure, how big of a vacation, what kind of car uh, that we drive or what, what kind of restaurants we can go out to and none of those things are wrong unless I'm holding on to it like it's mine. What is mine? Nothing, it's all God's. Let me ask you to do one thing this morning. Just surrender yourself to God, to his grace in your life. Can we bow our heads for just a minute? Just in the quietness of your heart as you pray, maybe you pray something like, God, I give you my time. God, 
I give you my schedule. God, I give you my finances. God, I give you my heart. Maybe there's some things that aren't pleasing to God. Just say, God, I give you my sin. I offer it up on the cross. Please forgive me. I give it to you. Change me. Or if you've never trusted him as Savior, give him your eternity today. Dear Jesus, I trust you. I believe in you for my eternity. Come into my life. Forgive my sins. Dear Father, I pray that your grace would be real in our life today. That we would sense your goodness. That your grace would impact us in such a way that we show generosity. I pray that financially that the Choice family would be generous. As we give of our tithes, as we give to missions, as we give to special needs that come up in our church, may we not hold on to it as if it's ours, but may we see it as it truly is yours. And Lord, we surrender. We come to the foot of the cross this morning. Father, I pray that you would move, that you would speak to our hearts during this song. In Jesus' name.